0: this week's prequel episode we follow up on our thunderball listener polls learn about the 90s witch boom and preview practical magic Hello, and welcome back to another prequel episode of this film is lit the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books Before we get started, we just want to remind you again that if you have an opportunity, we will be performing. That's not the word. We will be doing a live show for the first time ever. If you are a local listener, we're in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. If you're a local listener or even somewhat close and want to come see us do a live show, Friday night, September 29th, 6 6 p.m. 6 p.m. 6 p.m. Uh, I don't know how the passes work. I think you can buy a one-day pass, and Friday's probably cheaper than... I have no idea. I don't know, because I know they do one-day passes. They also do weekend passes. I don't know how much it would be to get in, but if you're in the area and you would like to see us do a live show and want to come out and support us, that would be great. Uh, like like we said, it's 6 p.m. Uh, Friday, September 29th at the...
1: It's Cape Con, and I believe. At Cape,
0: Yeah, if you just Google Cape Con, you'll find it. Yeah. But it, it's, at
1: a, <laughs> I believe it's at a hotel, it's isn't at it? At the Drury Conference Drury Lodge. Lodge, whatever it's called.
0: I think you're right. Let me double check real quick. Drury Conference Center uh, in Cape Florida, Missouri. And tickets are, I can tell you right here because I'm on the website. Uh, this is a pre sale, so I don't know. A day pass is $12, so it would be 12 bucks, I think, for Friday night for you to come in. They may do something where Friday's cheaper or something, I don't know, because it's not a whole day. I'm not sure how mm-hmm. it works, but probably around $10 bucks, uh, to get in, and yeah, you can come see us do a live show. That will be Friday night. Uh, if you're obviously not local, which most of our listener base is not, I would say fast.
1: fast. Yeah, I majority. would say a lot of our listener base <laughs> is almost not almost local. Almost the
0: entirety of our listener base, <laughs> other than a, a couple people, probably. Are not local, uh, but we will be putting out that episode at some point in October, probably when we're out on our honeymoon uh, towards the end of the month. So you can look forward to that episode if you're not able to make it down here to listen to us do it live. We got quite a bit of feedback on Thunderbolt, and then we got a little bit of a learning thing segment, and we got a preview Practical Magic. A lot to get to. Let's get right into it with our patron shoutouts. I put up with you because your father and mother were our finest patrons, that's why. No new patrons this week, but we do have our Academy Award winners, and they are Vic Vicious, Matilde, Steve from Arizona, Paul, Jeff Niederhofer, Teresa Schwartz, Ian from Wine Country, Winchester's Forever, Kelly Napier, Grey Hightower, Gratch, Just Gratch, Shelby says Air Elemental Cycle Book 4 is out now. That darn Skag, B Frank, and Alina Starkoff. Thank you all for continuing to support us at that $15 level and putting in your fan requests. Speaking of, let's see what the fans had to say about Thunderball.
1: Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. On Patreon, we had one vote for the book and two for the movie. Shelby says "Air Elemental Cycle Book 4 is out now, said... I didn't read this one, but I did watch James Bond, The Way of Water, and I thought I'd share some reaction highlights. Uh, So this is a a collection of Shelby's thoughts thoughts throughout the film. Um, WTF is domino doing to that sea turtle? If they wanted to do the thing where it's towing her along underwater, they needed to find one about six times larger. Maybe that's how big that turtle is now.
0: We had the same thought.
1: Yeah, we're like that turtle
0: is not. She's kind of <laughs> like swimming while holding that turtle, as opposed to like
1: yeah, <laughs>
0: like, being drugged so along that, by that, that, that turtle. Came
1: on, and I, I like turned to you, and I was like, that that turtle has to be like, what? What is going the on? The hell man? are you doing? Yep. Um, back to Shelby's thoughts. Uh, oh goody! I get to watch this man flirt some more. That's, that's that every, is yeah, every that's
0: scene in every Bond movie. Yeah,
1: kind of his whole thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Flirt slash sexually <laughs> assault slash harass people.
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, nobody ever told me Bond spent these movies making dad jokes.
0: Where do you think dad's got him?
1: <laughs> That's a fair point. I mean. <laughs> Bond keeps a recording device inside a book. The world's first audio book. Wow. If Bond can spend this movie making terrible jokes, <laughs> so can I. Fair enough. Oh, no. Don't kill James Bond. Who will I hate then? The redhead is my hero.
0: She is pretty good.
1: Those poor sharkies free them.
0: Yeah. That's not a. Oh, that is a shark. I thought that was a dolphin. And I was like, that's ironic. the shark and the dolphin emoji are they kind of similar, similar looking.
1: Yeah. yeah. Especially on these like bootleg Google emojis well, yeah, that show up in the Google
0: doc. Absolutely tiny on my screen. It's like <laughs> eight pickles across. So it's pretty hard to tell.
1: But I don't know how to swim. What a better time to learn, Bond says, and then the three of them jump off the boat and we never see our new buddy again. I guess he drowned. I do
0: think it must be canon that that character just drowns. I,
1: yeah, I guess. I don't know what else. He, he literally just vanishes yep. after they all jump off the boat. <laughs> never to be seen nor mentioned ever again. I spent much of this movie trying to guess what kind of sharks they used because the movie gives them a made up name. I finally settled on tiger sharks and reddit agrees with me not only did sharks die to make this movie they apparently stressed them out in order to slow them down for the cameras mm-hmm. that does not surprise me no. the underwater shots were hard to follow at times but they were impressive so there's that hmm. yeah there were a lot of people had thoughts about the underwater yeah, scenes it was
0: interesting because in I this. I did not find them super hard to follow I, there's some, some notes later that I'll mentioned yeah. or I I have some more thoughts after some somebody else I remember saying something somewhere I'll
1: say something I mean I, I thought there were definitely times where I was like I'm not really sure like where in relation to other things.
0: Yeah, but we are, I would say not much more than like a big battle in any movie. Maybe like, 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 like if I'm thinking of like Helm's deep, there are moments in Helm's deep where things are happening now. Overall, very much. You can follow the structure of like that. It's a masterfully crafted battle and stuff. But if I'm thinking of other battles where like lots of people are fighting, like, you know, more than like a few people are fighting. Um, It's not uncommon for there to be moments Where I'm like a little unsure Of where this fits into the larger Right Thing but I again I, I don't disagree I think there are moments where you can tell it's just kind of like This is just a moment we filmed That we're just <laughs> kind of throwing in here Yeah and, and it's not really like It doesn't necessarily follow or make, make a lot of sense Overall like some of it is just like Shots of people fighting right. Chaotic
1: Yeah um, no, and when I talk about it being impressive, I'm specifically referring to like the the choreography and the planning mm-hmm. of like yeah. all like filming all of those different moving people. Yeah,
0: all while underwater. Yes,
1: yeah. I would not want to be in charge of that. No,
0: <laughs> sounds like a nightmare. <laughs>
1: Um, We had then a comment from Jeff Niederhofer, who was replying to Shelby. Um, Jeff said, I couldn't agree with you more about your issues with the underwater scenes, and I will add my own set of complaints. While they are visually striking, I feel there are too many of them. They feel repetitive, and most of them, in particular the battle scene, go on for far too long. The ultimate effect is to destroy Thunderball's pacing— they bring the film to an abrupt halt while we watch scenes from a Jacques Cousteau documentary. That's not what you want in your spy action film.
0: I, I kind of agree. I, I They didn't really kill the pacing too much for me, but they, I will say they can get a little repetitive mm-hmm. and a little, they can drag on a little long because they don't, f- mainly the ones that don't feel like they're progressing, like the story of the battle that much where yeah. it's kind of more just like
1: Yeah, and, and I will agree in particular that I thought that battle scene went on. Yeah. But j- just just a bit too
0: yeah, long. I, I don't disagree with that. But it's one of those things where if you're gonna do it, you're gonna shoot it. Yeah. You're gonna you're gonna take the time to go down there and shoot all that stuff anyways. You're gonna shoot a bunch of stuff. And then once you've shot a bunch of that stuff, it was not cheap to shoot. You're gonna mm-hmm. use it. And now you would you gotta think like, okay, yeah, but we should probably just even even though this cost a bunch to shoot and was all this work, it probably makes more sense to trim this up a little bit just for the pacing. But I can also understand the argument of being like, God damn it, we spent all that money <laughs> shooting all this underwater fight scene. We're using every lick of it.
1: <laughs> uh, Steve from Arizona said, I didn't read the book, but I do understand that Bond is a bit darker and more nuanced than the Sean Connery version, who is easily my favorite Bond. Thunderball is kind of the weird entry into the Connery canon, as it was clear they were running out of steam and everyone was burnt out with the subject matter. Those underwater scenes, enough already. Mm -hmm. Anyway, as a consumer of James Bond send-ups and theories, I will always stand that the Connery universe of Bond ended with the 1996 movie The Rock, which is fun to think about since The Rock is a dumb, guilty pleasure deserving of its criterion collection status. Anyway, on to the season of pumpkin spice and pumpkin beer. I
0: have heard that theory about The Rock, and I haven't seen The Rock recent enough to know how well it, you know, Mm -hmm. holds. But it's a fun theory. And The Rock is, from my memory, by far probably Michael Bay's best movie. I believe that's Michael Bay's, one of his early films. Um, And from my memory, The Rock is pretty fun. Uh, At least me and my friends in college used to love watching it. But I don't know if it's holds up very well (laughs) (laughs) but uh, it definitely holds up better than some of other michael some of other michael Bay's other films that's for Mm -hmm. sure
1: our last comment on patreon was from vic vicious uh, who is the patron who requested thunderball Um, and he said how great it is to hear a rundown of this movie and book from folks not knee deep in the youtube bondosphere People like Calvin Dyson and Joe Darlington are great, but it gets to be kind of an echo chamber, and I really appreciate that y'all bring your own fresh approach. Might as well reveal the big secret. I'm an old dog born in 1952, and this was the first Bond I saw in the theater. I'll give Katie's mom a run for her money in leaving this super long comment, but now here's the reason I asked you to review this one. My dad took me and my brother to see Thunderball right when it hit theaters. That Christmas, I got a slew of Bond books which I jumped into and read the crap out of for years afterwards. Sad to say, I don't have them anymore, but that's a different drama story for another day. So, a couple decades later, my dad was in a nursing home suffering from dementia, had been there for years by that time. It's heartbreaking even now, but in his last few years, he could barely communicate and basically had forgotten everything and everyone. On what turned out to be his last day, When I was the only one around, he suddenly snapped to it and just started talking about Thunderball, of all things. He wanted to talk about Thunderball, what I liked and what I hated about it, ask me about the book, ask me about Never Say Never Again, which was the last Bond movie he had ever seen before it all went to hell. But here's the thing. He was lucid and we were doing back and forth like Siskel and Ebert. Or another way to look at it. The last time we ever spoke was like an episode of your podcast. No, I love yous. No family memories. Just about an hour of Thunderball talk. I was going to change the subject to see if he could remember other things, but I just didn't have the heart. He was so lively and back in command that I was scared I'd somehow bring it to an end if I tried to talk about something else. I didn't know that this would be the last time I'd ever see him, and when I told my mom about this after he died, she just covered her face and said, Jesus Christ, I'll never (laughs) understand the men in this family. (laughs) Still don't know if I did the right thing, but for a while at least, it was like a blast from the past when the old man and I would talk about movies in general and Bond in particular. That's why Thunderball, which is not the best Bond movie in any way, holds a special place in my heart and now has to to be my favorite Bond movie. A weird side effect, I now can't watch it anymore without a dry eye. When I watched it with my nephew and his then-wife years ago, they thought I was losing it and I had to tell them this story, because otherwise I might have been headed to the same nursing home. (laughs) I almost forgot to say, but even in the early 1960s, we knew Bond was sexist and slimy. Many times my dad would say, if I treated your mom the way Bond treats women, you would have never been born. Sometimes he would finish it with, the church would have held my funeral instead of our (laughs) wedding.
0: Uh, So I read this comment when it was posted by Vic, and I don't really have words to say to it. I just, it's one of the most fascinating and compelling and just touching stories that I've ever heard relayed in relation to something we've covered on the podcast. Like, I just thought it was really sweet. and. Uh, I'm glad that you requested it and that we talked about it. I hope you enjoyed the episode (laughs) because, yeah, that's just, yeah, I I'm glad you had that experience and I'm glad you had that opportunity um, with your with your father. So. And I will say, I definitely I even even for the day, yes, Bond was like (laughs) problematic, even at the time. (laughs) I mean, we even read it in some of the reviews Mm -hmm. that we did. there was, there was. Uh, I don't think anybody specifically called out like the sexism necessarily, but about kind of like the sleaziness of it. And, yeah,
1: like then the womanizing. Yeah,
0: the... yeah. Like it was even in the time period, it was it was seen as like fairly, yeah, sleazy and 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 sexist and, mm-hmm. and whatnot.
1: All right, um, but yeah, we we are glad that you enjoyed the episode. Yeah. Uh, over on Facebook, uh, we didn't have any like votes technically. Um, nobody reacted to the the voting post, but we did have a couple of comments.
0: Come on, people. You got to <laughs> <laughs> you gotta at least pick if you're going to make it. You don't have to, I guess. You can just leave a comment. I, I, okay, I'll take it back. I, we prefer the comments over the voting anyways, so I'll take yes. comments. If you're going to do one thing, I'd rather you comment than vote, but it takes one second to vote. Just click a thing so we have an extra yeah. vote for
1: a poll. <laughs> Also any kind of interaction on a post like that yeah. helps it, it helps more help people see more. Yeah. it see it. Yeah. Um Josh said Which the comments
0: do help. Yes. And probably more than even the likes or whatever, right. but do both if you can. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um Josh said the movie was great. Probably more happened in Thunderball than nearly any other Bond film. The sexism is a bit much. However, Bond had toned down the sexism compared to other movies of the time. Still one of my Fave Bond movies I think
0: that's Maybe true of some movies But also not true of others Yeah Like you know It depends yeah. on what you're saying When you're right. saying other movies It depends on what Depends you, on what we're what talking about you're comparing about. it to I think but Yeah Cause it, I think it was Simultaneously Like I said It was less sexist Than the book was mm-hmm. um, Which the book was from 50s or whatever but yeah it um but yeah it, it's like we said i think there's other that being said there were still plenty of people who were like "This is pretty sexist even in yeah. 1960
1: our other comment on facebook was from ian um ian said i am quite tickled that bond isn't a fan of tea though from the sounds of it if he had anything healthy his body would go into shock and yeah. he would most likely die 60 cigarettes a day ugh." I usually managed a pack a day. I wince even thinking about trying to add on two more packs to what I did.
0: That is just an insane amount of cigarettes.
1: It, it, that, it's a crazy amount of cigarettes. I, we did the
0: math. It's one every, like, 15, 20 minutes, right? Yeah. It's like a it's, cigarette it's, every 20 it's, minutes.
1: You're just chain-smoking chain smoking, all it, like, day it long. Takes, I
0: mean, what, it takes a good 5, 10 minutes to smoke a cigarette,
1: probably? Depending on how depending fast on, yeah, you're how, sucking you're, on it. Yeah, but
0: depending it, on how you <laughs> Intense you're going at it, you know, you know, uh, yeah, so it's literally like that's like non-stop chain-smoking yeah. all day And and all that's day. not taking into account sleep. That's yeah. a 24-hour day. That's If you sleep for eight hours, it's it's crazy
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Must admit I nearly did a spit take when I heard that physical description of Blofeld That does not describe any of them. In fact, that sounds more like Vincent D'Onofrio as kingpin but with black crew-cut hair and pretty long eyelashes. It does
0: actually sound kind of like you, know,
1: his kingpin. Fleming was known to have a spanking kink, oh, shall we say, I from that. the sounds of it that comes through with Bond's treatment of the ladies sometimes. As they say, write what you know. <laughs> I, I guess. I or guess. maybe sometimes you shouldn't. Or maybe
0: don't sometimes, yeah. <laughs>
1: In this instance, uh, we
0: approve of kink shaming. In this particular instance, (laughs) keep that shit to yourself.
1: Whilst I have read a number of Bond books, I haven't read the Fleming ones always on my to-do list, but it would make sense that Fleming shows us Bond's softer insecure side. You can't go through 240 pages of, oh my god, it's so great to be me, killed 10 people, rogered some bird, and drank a quart of bourbon. Woo, I lead a charmed life. It would get tedious at best. There was a recent book that set straight after Goldfinger where Bond reflects on his time in World War II during D-Day, and it clearly affects him. Not to the point of PTSD, that's too strong a term, I think, but he clearly isn't able to shake it off. Now Bond does the quintessential British tactic of internalizing his thoughts and pushing and repressing and burying them way, way down. Always enjoyed the movies, well, most anyways, and Thunderball is one I I don't mind. It's not amazingly wow, but it's definitely not bad, bad. It's flicking through channels Sunday evening and seeing it on all four movies and going, sure, why not? Fun action, great locations. Connery was always a great Bond. I think it's encoded into our DNA to like him as Bond. Apologies for the long post. Didn't know Practical Magic was a book. Love that film. Can't wait for the episode. Awesome.
0: Sounds good. Uh and yeah, it's I, I definitely agree. It's it's definitely you know it's not the worst of the Bond films that I've seen, but it's it's also not the it's it's a fine middle of the pack
1: Bond. Film. Fair middling.
0: Fair middling
1: Bond <laughs> film. On Twitter, we had zero votes for the book, one for the movie. Twitter's been rough lately. I don't know if they've done something. Because we didn't pay for Twitter blue. Probably, yeah. We're not
0: racist enough to get (laughs) promoted by the algorithm. Yeah.
1: Um, No, our 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 Twitter feed has been struggling lately. Uh, But we did have one. It also might be
0: that some of the people have just not a lot. I mean, not yeah. A lot
1: of people might just not be using it it as much. much? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, I'll I'll, we'll continue to post there, but. Uh, we did have a comment from Kelly Napier. Kelly said, I've always loved the Bond movies, so a few years ago I tried to read the books. Outside of the misogyny and thinly veiled racism, they ended up being very repetitive, and the oft-used plot devices wore thin quickly. Interesting. So the movie.
0: I will say, having only read one book, that was not a problem. <laughs> sure, <laughs> like, I yeah. just did it the one, yeah. so I was like, ah, eh. it's possible that it could get to a point where, if I read more of them, I'd be like, all right, this is this, this is very the same thing over yeah. and over. And and, and it, I will say, to be a little bit fair, the movies is are also a little you know <laughs> they they follow a formula it is a formulaic yeah. thing it gets a mission they usually open very similarly with an old mission or another mission he gets a new mission it's some big thing he goes off to some exotic locale he meets q at some point gets some gadgets he uses the gadgets he meets you know like it's a formulaic thing right even the movies are but it's possible that the books are even more so again having only read one i know not really don't really know
1: Um, Kelly went on to say side note I found this on Ian Fleming's Wikipedia entry in 2023 it was reported that Ian Fleming's James Bond series was being republished removing a number of racial slurs and references along with some disparagements of women and homosexuality a disclaimer was added at the beginning of each book. Reading, this book was written at a time when terms and attitudes which might be considered offensive by modern readers were commonplace. A number of updates have been made in this edition while keeping as close as possible to the original text and the period in which it was set.
0: Again, We've talked about this before with the the doll thing. To me, it seems weird to do that. To put that disclaimer at the beginning after and, and making also the, changes. Make the changes, just put that disclaimer at the beginning. Well, obviously not the part about changing it, but like just put the disclaimer at the beginning. Yeah, like hey, this book is written in a time period where blah blah blah, yeah. and even then these attitudes were were inappropriate and bad. But you know, like put the disclaimer in there. So yeah, if a, if a fifteen year old picks it up, maybe they read that hopefully and <laughs> have some context. But like it, yeah, I, I to me, uh, changing it's not again unless the author themselves
1: right no I, yeah it. we we have discussed this uh, to me changing it doesn't solve the problem no um you know I, I do think if there's literal slurs in something we can discuss that
0: yeah that there's that's but, yeah yeah I, I and i think the other thing that's funny to me about this is like well if you're gonna make those it's weird to me that they said uh, a number of updates have been made in this edition while keeping us close to the possible original text in the period in which it is set. And then you have that disclaimer in there. Well, then, I, again, maybe if all they changed was slurs, but like yeah. otherwise, if they're changing other stuff, then why is that disclaimer need to be like if they're changing stuff to make it more like less offensive or, you know, less problematic, then you probably wouldn't need that Disclaimer. I
1: would think so. I don't know. So,
0: so either. So, so it sounds like what happened is they made some changes, but then it was just the stuff. The books are so inherently problematic that they (laughs) couldn't get away. That even (laughs) with the changes they made, they still had to be like. By the way, this represents some pretty outdated and shitty, uh, you know, philosophies about uh, women and minorities and whatnot. So, you know, consider that. It's just interesting. Like I said, to me, it just makes more sense. Just put that disclaimer in there or or something like that.
1: If you want to hear us talk more about uh, in depth about that, I believe we discussed that in the prequel to our James and the Giant Peach episode.
0: Yes. Yes, that's what it was. Because it was yeah. a prequel to the most recent rolled doll, I think. Yes. So I think yeah, it was a prequel to James and the Giant Peach. Which only would have been a couple months ago at this
1: point. Yeah, so. that was only back in June. June yeah. Um over on Instagram we had one vote for the book and five for the movie. Um Emily said, My apologies for not taking too many notes and probably skipping a lot of details between the book and the movie. That said, my vote goes for the movie. <laughs>
0: You're not a, you're not giving us a book report. You don't have to apologize for <laughs> not having a, a thoroughly detailed. You just you have d- to give your opinion.
1: Yeah, you, you don't need to set your. Sources. We have it's, to do that because we're, we're
0: we're the ones presenting, like you know, the the, the detailed breakdown. Yeah, <laughs> you, you don't have to do that. You just have to tell us what you think. <laughs> but your apology is noted.
1: <laughs> um, okay. That said, my vote goes for the movie. As much as I like both, I preferred the movie. The toned-down, smooth, less sexist and racist 007 compared to the book. Spectre was first mentioned in Dr. No in 1962, near the end of the movie. While I do agree with Brian that they should have included the opening from the book, if they did it, then they will also include M sending Bond to the resort, which I didn't like and played too comedic for my taste. I liked
0: it, because I liked that we found out that M was a weird alternative health nut (laughs) and and bond thinks he's full of it but it is comedic but i didn't mind that i thought it was fine
1: not to mention in the connery era he wasn't portrayed as a heavy drinker like in the daniel craig movies yeah speaking of daniel craig my first book was casino royale and while i preferred the movie over the book daniel craig's portrayal of bond is the closest adaptation we will get to his book counterpart alcoholic bad-mannered and aggressive towards women
0: i mean yes he's definitely an alcoholic and bad-mannered i guess aggressive towards men and women i guess it depends on what you mean because i would say that's true of every bond Mm -hmm. in the older ones he's aggressive in like a fun playful way because they thought it was funny to like Like, sexually assault in a way
1: that comes off as kind of like smooth seeming and playful because it's vintage
0: yes because like literally he he sexually assaults a woman in the beginning of this movie like he just grabs and kisses a woman who does not want to be kissed at all and has made no indication that she wants to Uh, and like i said that scene is directly out of the book so i would say that that particular detail is kind of uh, applicable across all of the bonds again it just comes across more playful and fun in the older ones because they viewed it as more playful and fun generally Mm -hmm. speaking but my for my memory, and I've only I haven't seen the more recent Daniel Craig's ones recently. He's more respectful of women while also being more of an asshole. But he's just in more of an asshole in general. Was mm-hmm. my like I don't know. He, to my for my memory, he felt less sexist in the newer movies a little bit. Oh, he's still sexist. He's still James Bond, but like less sexist. But just more kind of like generically like. A dick. A dick, yeah, across <laughs> the board. Anyways,
1: I've never seen any of them, so uh, I cannot.
0: I will say, I'll tease it a little bit. uh Fun, f- good thing for you. uh Casino Royale may be coming. I say coming up, it, not anytime soon, but it's.
1: It may be going on our schedule. It may be going on our schedule point. at some
0: point. Uh, it may have been requested by a patron, so.
1: Um, continuing this comment, um, Ian Fleming writes engaging spy stories that are never dull, like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy by John Le Car. We've done that one, by the way, if you don't want to wear, yes. just making um, sure. Or repetitive, like The Born Identity by Robert Ludlum. We've also We've done, done that also one, done that. which I
0: assume that's why you mentioned them, but
1: because yeah. <laughs> um, those, kind of, those were your I, notes
0: about both of those. So yes, I think they're, I think they're I did commiserating. Not, did
1: not particularly care for either of yes. those. Um, I brought these two examples to show that just because it's considered a classic in the spy genre doesn't mean everyone will like it. The word you were looking for, Brian, yes. was self insert yes, to describe Very. the author inserting his views into the character. Well,
0: I, I, it's so funny because it's like literally not even like a special term. It's just the words I was like, it's just like a <laughs> self insert is not like, you know, it's not yeah. like some f- weird French like term. All right. The it's, it's just, it's just the, literally just the, 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 noun the concept, version of yeah, what yeah, you, of you were what saying. I was saying. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, that is what I was trying to say.
1: Yeah. Uh, I went all over the place with my comments. LOL. That's totally fine. Yes, it's all good. Our other comment on Instagram was from Anal Fracture 42 who said, Gonna go with the movie, but only because I didn't read the book. From your description, it sounds like the book is probably superior. Even though it isn't one of my favorite Bonds, it still has the incredible Sean Connery. His acting is just lovely. Additionally, the scenes of the Vulcan bombers are just great for a fan of aviation like me. However, there is also by far the movie's biggest plot hole for me. The NATO airbase is said to be located to the south of England, and flying to the Bahamas is roughly 6,600 kilometers. The Vulcan, however, only had a max range of 4,100 kilometers. No way that flight was possible. Still, I do really like all the underwater scenes with the vi- the villain vehicles. I
0: will say, I can't remember in the book if the model of plane is mentioned. I bet mm-hmm. it is because uh, Fleming likes vehicles yeah. and stuff he's so like it big feels on, like the kind of yeah, detail he's big he on those like. like nerdy like he, he goes into very much a lot of detail about like all the cars that show up and stuff he's clearly like a car guy and I, mm-hmm. I think he so he probably does mention the the plane that was used but i wouldn't be surprised if it was a different plane that maybe has a longer range because i do think it is the same rough they do end up in the bahamas in the book and i think it does leave from somewhere near england um but I don't remember what the plane is. My guess would be it might be a different plane just because the 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 year when the book was written. Mm. It was like almost a decade yeah, yeah, yeah. ish before when the movie came out. Or not a decade, but like It a, would have a, had a been few a few years, years. At least, yeah. To the point where it may have um May have changed. It may have been a different, and Mm -hmm. also could relate to what they were able to get for the movie or what they wanted to use in the movie, like aesthetically, like what they thought was a cooler looking plane. Like so, yeah, there may have been in the film. It may have been a plane with a, or in the book, it may have been a plane that had the actual correct range, Mm -hmm. and then they just changed it for the film, but didn't change the locations. So,
1: yeah, who knows? I don't know.
0: I again, I could look. I don't. I the book's gone. I know. Oh, it's It's over over there. I don't. I don't want to go get
1: it. So. Over on Goodreads, we had zero votes for the book and one for the movie. Uh, We had a comment from Miko, who said, Despite having seen all the movies, this was my first Bond book. The only thing I could remember about the movie before rewatching it was an image of Bond wandering around the health clinic hallways for way too long.
0: It's so interesting because to me, it's the water, like the, the underwater scenes. Yeah. Like Thunderball is like the only thing to me. It's like underwater fighting, but. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> That didn't end up being an accurate memory, but I still found the beginning weird for a Bond story. I cannot recall another one where Bond stumbles unprompted upon a criminal conspiracy.
0: Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah,
1: It's a total coincidence that his health clinic escapades connect to the nuke theft. Yeah, But the book is even worse in this regard. The health clinic section is totally unrelated to the rest of the plot. You could start the book with Bond arriving at the headquarters for the mission briefing. Cut a quarter of the book and nothing about the plot would change. I
0: disagree. It's uh, to me there I agree that he, they're similarly kind of unrelated, but they're it's pretty much the same in the book, unless I am misremembering, cuz he he runs into he runs into what's his name, Count Lippa there, who is a mm. member involved in the nuclear bomb plant. Right. I guess you could argue that
1: because I keep forgetting about that character.
0: I like it's it is kind of unimportant in the sense that yes, if you jumped ahead and just started where he goes to the mission briefing. Right. But I would say that's the same as the movie. You could also do that in the movie, like in the movie you yeah. could jump ahead to where the mission briefing is. I guess you have a little bit more with the face change guy and stuff. Right. But but it is mentioned in the book that Count Lippa is involved in handling that pilot guy who is Domino's brother who steals the plane. He's involved and he's at the health clinic. Now, we don't see any of this. It's just mentioned by M later. They figure this out that he or no, it's not even mentioned by M. It's we hear the it, from the perspective of the bad guys. We know that we're hearing like Blofeld and them like discussing the plan. And they mention that Count Lippa is involved. He's at the health clinic so that he can keep an eye on this pilot and like relay information to him and stuff. Um, so I guess it's kind of true that you could cut it. But I, again, I also think you could similarly cut if you just changed how we found out you could just have the scene with the face change guy happen like somewhere else. And it would also, the health clinic would be irrelevant. Mm-hmm. I think it's similarly irrelevant in both kind of, I actually liked that. and thought it was interesting. And I agree that that is the, the, the kind of fascinating part of it is that it is, he just kind of stumbles into this plot. Yeah. And then ends up becoming a bigger part of it. Once it g- kind of goes worldwide and becomes this whole big thing. But initially, yeah, he just like, comes across it because he gets into a beef with this guy which is kind of (laughs) interesting in its own way
1: Uh, mika went on to say i also find fleming needlessly wordy i don't need a five-page info dump about blofeld's history or how domino fantasizes about a cigarette package logo The parts Brian apparently liked caused my eyes to glaze over. That's so
0: interesting to me because, again, the Bloodfell backstory was interesting. I think it could have been a little shorter, but I, I thought I thought it was interesting um, finding out how how he started the organization and everything. And for me, Domino is such an important and integral character in the book and is so interesting and layered. And that scene is just a big part of it. Um, it sure, it, maybe it could have been a little short. It, it is like three or four pages of her going on in this like this. This fantasy she has created about this Like I, I get it, like after a while You're like alright I, I get it Like she's mm-hmm. got an active imagination <laughs> But like <laughs> that being said I thought it was fascinating enough I, I thought it was well written enough And um, Added enough Made me like her character enough That I was willing to give it the leeway Of going on maybe a little longer Than,
1: mm-hmm.
0: than it probably needed to
1: While I don't think Thunderball is among the very best Bond movies, it has some stuff going for it. I like the addition of Fiona Volpe and the double O meeting had left a clear mental image, even if I didn't realize beforehand that it was from this particular movie. But my decision stems mainly from a simple thing.
0: I want to talk about that double O meeting. There's a little Mm -hmm. detail that I meant to mention in the movie that I forgot. That's very funny to me. It's very clear that they got that room... Because it was this big impressive room or whatever. Yeah. That looked like a place where like the government would have like a big fancy meeting or whatever. But then they also wanted the scene where they show they they pull up that uh the like tapestry thing. Yeah. And then reveal this like <laughs> this uh big map on the wall, which they clearly added to this location. But it's funny because like I imagine when they were writing that, with they were like imagining this big room and this big wall, but then when they actually did it, they're like, well, this room will work, but we still want to do the map thing. But the map doesn't really work in re- like where everybody is in the room, the map is like this giant wall, kind of at an awkward angle mm-hmm. to everybody else in the room. And like to even how the room is laid out, like there's no tr- there's nobody facing it really. Like the bond, like the double O's are facing forward, and it's like off to the side, and then m and his people are facing the double o people and it's like behind them so it's not really in a place that makes sense yeah but they clearly just wanted to do it because it was cool and so they just did it and they're like "Eh." i don't know that that part was just funny to me (laughs) Um,
1: but my decision stems mainly from a simple thing i like connery's bond i don't like bond in the book Even simple actions like commenting, flying here often when Fiona races in her car, or letting out an oh no when Q shows up makes him likable. At points, Book's Bond seems to dislike his job to the point I wondered why he even does it. Not to mention the worst sexism. I think there was a difference in expectation. The movie Bond is a super spy. The book Bond is just a spy. Had this been The Adventures of 004, I'd probably have enjoyed it a lot more, hmm. being able to disconnect it from the movie Bond that's taken over. I'd be interested to read one of the later novels just to see if the movie's portrayal of Bond influences his depiction in the books. The movie wins. A fun little detail, you clearly weren't the only ones confused by uh, Chemin de Fer." is that how it's said? Sherman de yeah, sure. uh, the card game. Yeah, my book even had a translator's note explaining the rules. Yeah, uh,
0: no, I think that is a good point. I would also be interested to see if the later books kind of fused and pull some of the character from the mm-hmm. movies into Bond. I I will agree that I don't like Bond in the book actually yeah. at all. Like I, I, it's actually not why I liked the book. I liked the book more because I thought Domino Was like a more interesting fleshed out character. Um. And I think Bond's, I liked the mechanics of the story in the book more, and I liked the details, the amount of detail there was, but I didn't like Bond. Bond's a much more likable character in the movies Mm -hmm. than he is in the book. I completely agree with that, but that wasn't a problem to me.
1: Do you think that Fleming wanted you to like Bond? Uh, yes. In your opinion. No.
0: Uh, yeah, definitely. He's definitely like I said, he's definitely the self insert character and he's definitely supposed to be likable. It's clear that Fleming likes him. It's clear mm-hmm. that I, at least to me, it seems like it's clear that Fleming espouses most of his opinions through Bond. Um, and, and I think Bond's world view roughly reflects Fleming's. If I had to guess, that's kind of this is the vibe that I got. Um, so, yeah, I definitely think that Fleming wants you to like Bond. And I didn't hate him. I mean, I hated, you know, things about him. Um, He's definitely not as charming as he is in the films, and he's definitely not as um, debonair and fun as he is in the films. But I think there's an I I, I liked the complexity of Bond more than I liked him as a person. Like, I liked Mm -hmm. him as a character. I didn't really like him, but I did like him as a character. And I think he was just a more interesting character in the book than he is in the film.
1: An important distinction. Yeah. Um, Maybe left one other little comment um, responding to their previous comment uh, and said, it just hit me that I was actually lying when I said this was my first Bond book. I know I've read Silverfin from 2005, the first in a series recounting Bond's youth, but I have literally zero memory of it. Even after reading the plot synopsis, my mind is blank. (laughs) Maybe the Bond novels just aren't for me. Maybe. Um, So our winner... Was the movie with mm-hmm. nine votes to the books too? Uh, kind of a rough defeat yeah. for the book there, fair but uh, not I'll particularly surprised. I'll,
0: I'll die on the cell alone. It's fine.
1: Yeah, uh, the movie seems like it was much more accessible. Oh, yeah, than the sure. book was. So. Well,
0: it's just every, lots of and for. I mean, there were several comments in there that was like, "I'm voting for the movie because I didn't read the book and I've seen the movie and I like the movie." Mm-hmm. So, and that's you know totally fair. Totally fair. You're just wrong. It's fine. <laughs> All right, Uh, it's time now for us to learn a little bit about the 90s witch boom.
1: No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. Hot on the heels of the 1980s satanic panic, 1990s culture in America ushered in the season of the witch with a sudden explosion of witchy characters and stories on the pop culture scene. Mm-hmm. This trend started, um, well, it's often credited with having gotten started in 1989 with the coming-of-age comedy Teen Witch, um, followed then by 1990s trauma-inducing rolled doll adaptation The Witches, yep. uh, which we have which also we have covered also on this show. Two Halloweens? It? I, think it
0: was Hall-
1: I think it was last Halloween. I think it was last Halloween. I think. No, it was the Halloween before last Halloween.
0: Sure. Take your word for it. They all Um, run together.
1: (laughs) Yes, that is true. And then things continued to grow from there. Uh, Some media leaned into the wicked witch stereotypes, like 1993's Hocus Pocus, while others reimagined the witch as a more family friendly figure. Like Disney Channel's Halloween Town movies Mm -hmm. and the popular ABC sitcom *Sabrina the Teenage Witch*, Mm -hmm. Um, which
0: that is based on the the Archie comics. she
1: was a character in the Archie comics. Um, That was like one of my favorite shows Mm -hmm. during that time period. Um, My friend Sarah and I used to like call each other on, uh, "Thank God it's Friday nights," and watch, yeah, TGIF. Sabrina the Teenage Witch together and talk on the phone. Um, other kid friendly witchy media included uh, Mary-Kate and Ashley's TV movie Double Double Toil and Trouble, mm-hmm. the the live action Casper movies that featured Hilary Duff as Wendy the Witch. Not the first one. I was about
0: to say wait, what? Okay. But they made
1: and they made a, the second one I think is the one that she's in.
0: Say, I don't remember that there one. Was I, a I only Casper remember the and Christina Wendy Ricci one. Movie. Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, and also Scooby-Doo characters, the Hex Girls. hmm Yeah. Uh, so one of the most notable ways that this trend manifested, though, was through characters that explored womanhood, sisterhood, and 90s-era feminism. Uh, movies like The Craft and Practical Magic and TV series like Charmed explored bonds between women, um, both light and dark in nature. hmm uh, the witch is a female archetype in a way that is far, far more layered, complex, and nuanced than I would like to get into here. That's <laughs> that's an an entire series of theses. Um, the, the '90s, in particular, the popularity of the witch coincided with women's issues of the era um, such as girl power feminism and the continued rise in women choosing careers over the more traditional like motherhood homemaker path um, and while historically the witch had often been used as a kind of frightening figure that could function as a way to make women stay on uh-huh. traditional paths overwhelmingly their depiction in this era was one of power and independence for men. Yeah, which it, I think is really interesting.
0: Yeah, it definitely strikes me as a as a, uh, a reclamation project. A, yeah. Which is, I mean, apart from, you know, like tales of warning and other things, they were also like an insult that was, yeah. like, you know, like she's an old witch or like that was mm-hmm. a thing you would use to insult women. Definitely not anymore. It's like it's a very like old timey <laughs> kind of thing to to use as an insult. But you know, it it definitely was. And so yeah, it definitely feels like one of those things that um where a um a marginalized group reclaims kind mm-hmm. of a a role that was deemed, you know, undesirable and be like, no, actually fuck you. this is cool. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um so that was a short little segment. I just wanted to kind of introduce the idea. Ahead of us talking about this movie mm-hmm. um, But there are plenty of examples That I did not mention here um, Including examples of the trend From other areas of pop culture Like music and fashion mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask everyone What is your favorite example Of the 90's witch trend Let us know
0: Absolutely get in those comments And let us know what your favorite 90's witch is
1: Or witch adjacent Thing Doesn't have to be like a character True.
0: Yeah, yes, right, yeah I think mine's probably Willow, but
1: Willow is a great example <laughs> That I could not figure out a way to work Into this yeah. um, section Succinctly
0: yeah. Alright, that's gonna do it for Our learning things segment But we do have a little bit more to learn About Practical Magic The book The Owen
1: sisters are two Beautiful witches
0: Woo! to your husband's girl.
1: With one wicked problem. She has the worst taste in men. Any man they fall for falls victim to a deadly curse. Any man who wins the heart of an Owens woman is bound to end up six feet under. And as hard as they try. Oh, my God! (laughs) They can't keep their love. I feel like I'm never gonna see you again. Look out! Alive. We have another very, very short segment here. There's not a lot of information about this book. The Wikipedia article was practically a stub. Uh, But Practical Magic is a 1995 novel by American author Alice Hoffman. Hoffman is probably best known for Practical Magic. But if you're around my age or a little younger, you might remember the 2006 uh, movie Aquamarine with Emma Roberts and Jojo. Uh, Hoffman wrote the young adult novel that that movie is loosely based on yes
0: I saw that when I was doing research on the on the film yeah she's credited for this in the credits because the book and yeah mm-hmm. the, that movie showed up and I was like I don't know what that is
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but many of Hoffman's works fall into the genre of like magical realism mm-hmm. fantasy yeah. that kind of thing uh, following practical magic Hoffman has published two prequel novels the rules of magic in 2017 and magic lessons in 2020 as well as one sequel the book of magic in 2021
0: there you go all right now let's move on and learn a little bit more about practical magic the film it was an accident it was fate it was the curse wasn't it
1: now a detective
0: is he cute he's very code
1: sort of way, yeah. ...is looking for answers. Did you or your sister kill James Angelo? Oh, yeah. But the only kind of magic... You just look familiar. We never met before. I would remember if we had. ...that can break the evil spell... What would you do, Julie? What wouldn't I do for the right guy? ...is the magic of two people... Magic isn't just spells and potions. ...who discover the power... What I'm saying is... You know, all relationships have problems. <laughs> of true
0: love. Practical Magic is a 1998 film direct- directed by Griffin Dunn, uh, who is primarily an actor, actually, had like over 100 acting credits. He was in uh, An American Werewolf in London, I think most famously. Um, but he also directed Addicted to Love, Lisa Picard is Famous, uh, a segment from Movie 43, which is a... <laughs> an infamous directing credit, if you know anything about that movie, uh, and a handful of episodes of The Good Wife, among a few other things. The film was written by Robin Swikard, who wrote uh, and just an absolute uh, MVP uh, of this podcast, (laughs) Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Memoirs of a Geisha, which we haven't done yet, Mm. Matilda, uh, the 1994 Little Women, uh, the Jane Austen Book Club, and a bunch of other things. Akiva Goldsman, who wrote A Beautiful Mind, uh, Batman and Robin, The Da Vinci Code, and I think all of those movies in that series, Hmm. I, Robot, Cinderella Man, I Am Legend, a bunch of other stuff. So tons of, including, yeah, we've done I Am Legend, but there might even be something else of his. He does a lot of adaptations. Yeah. Obviously, Robin Swiker does too. Yeah. I, and there might have even been another one that we had done that I didn't even see in that list, but yeah. Uh, and Adam Brooks is the final credited writer who wrote definitely maybe Mozart in the Jungle and Bridget Jones: The Edge of Reason, which is like the third Bridget Jones, movie yeah, or
1: something like that. Which um, and at that point, I don't know how based on the books I the know, Bridget yeah. Jones movies are. I don't. Know. I know the first one is based on a book. I don't know about the no. continuing movies. No, the film stars Sandra Bullock,
0: Nicole Kidman, Goran Visnick, uh, yeah, Visnick. Uh, Stockard Channing, Diane Wiest, Aiden Quinton, Caprice Benedetti, and Evan Rachel Wood. The film has a 23% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 46% on Metacritic, and a 6.3 out of 10 on IMDb. It made 68.3 million against a budget of 75 million. Mm. So, Early on in production, uh, the filmmakers decided that the Owens house in the book was such an important part of the story that they would need to build a brand new house just for this film. And they ended up building it on San Juan Juan Island in Washington uh, State. Uh, And so so my next note I have here is kind of mixed because it's a little confusing. This is from Wikipedia directly. While much of the set from California was brought to that location and placed inside the house... It took nearly a year to perfect the image of the house and the interior. And then the next sentence in the Wikipedia article is the house actually only a shell with nothing inside (laughs) was built only for this filming and torn down after filming was completed. And now I know the second part of that second sentence is true is that it was built and then torn down after they finished. I don't know which of these
1: have stuff in it or did it not? Did
0: they bring stuff there and what is the truth inside (laughs) or did they not? And I did some extra research to try to and I couldn't find the exact details on this. But I did find an article on some other website um, that was kind of a a discussion of the house. And they had it was like an interview or kind of some questions from um, and some some notes from uh, the production designer, Robin Standifer. Uh, who, as I mentioned earlier, realized that aunt's house is like every bit as much of a main character in the film as mm-hmm. like the
1: actual main characters. And it's very, very common and real and uh, yeah. magical realism. Yeah. Um,
0: but that the book itself doesn't actually have a, a, according to the production designer, at least, offers, in their words, scant clues as to how to translate the eccentric charm um, into clapboard and shingle. Uh, so she was according to her kind of very much on her own in creating this vision. And she said of it, quote, I analyzed the descriptions of the stairways and the tangles of vines growing over the back door and decided it had to be Victorian. She explains, but it couldn't look haunted. It had to be clean and white, not fading and cobwebbed end quote. So that was her kind of thought process as she was designing the home that, that would be the main location for the film. Uh, the small town scenes in the film were shot in Coopville, Washington, which is a small a coastal town in the state. Uh, and actually, uh, in one of the scenes towards the end of the movie, that, or I don't know when it's in the movie, there's a scene where there's like a Halloween something happens and uh, all of, uh, a bunch of people show up in Halloween costumes and they basically just had the entire town come. They nice. invited them all to come and be in the movie, just dress up in Halloween why costumes. Can't, why can't something
1: things. like that happen to me? <laughs>
0: You could have been in Gone Girl. <laughs> if you had, I mean, I guess, you, were you here? When I was, when, was did they, when were they Carbondale? filming that? You might have been in Carbondale. I can't remember. It was before we started dating. Yeah, it was before we started dating. So it, it was like 2012. No, because, yeah, it would have been, right, it was right before we started dating. It was like 2012, 2013.
1: Yeah, it so was So you probably were in here. Carbondale.
0: Because I was here, I was living by myself here. Yeah. So yeah, that would have been right before we started dating, like the year before we started dating. So. Yeah, you wouldn't have been able to be in it. But anyways, I could have been in it and I wasn't. So. Uh, so Kyle uh, was. <laughs> yes, Kyle was. Uh, according to Sandra Bullock, in the DVD commentary, uh, they were filming the when they filmed the scene of the Owens women being drunk and slinging insults, I don't know what the scene is. I've obviously not seen the movie. Uh, they actually apparently got r- real-life drunk, IRL drunk, on very cheap tequila that had been brought by Nicole Kidman.
1: What? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, Speaking on the house Which is very funny to me because this house Was literally built for this movie (laughs) The cast stated that uh, In the film's commentary that they felt Supernatural forces in the house Had started to affect them Both the cast and crew claimed that they heard uh, Supernatural noises While filming the coven scene At the end of the film Mm. Which makes me think that there was a PA somewhere banging shit. Uh, like, obviously,
1: <laughs> there was a homeless ghost in that area who was like, for me?
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess that could be true. I believe uh, that where they built it was indigenous land or something like that. I don't know. Hmm. I think I remember reading somewhere that they built it on indigenous land, which might have been part of the reason they tore it down after where they were done or something. I can't remember. I saw some note about that somewhere. Uh, da, 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 da. So, in the eleventh hour, after a test screening, uh, the film score, uh, which was originally composed by Michael Nyman, was completely re- replaced by a score uh, from Alan Silvestri, uh, who most famously, I think, did uh, Back to the Future, among other. Mm-hmm. It, uh, Silvestri is like a giant; and he's he's up there with like uh, John Williams in like mm-hmm. the top five most famous film scores of the last you know hundred years or whatever. Um or fifty sixty years, uh. Anyway, so the uh, the original score was replaced by Sylvester's because the test screening uh got bad reviews. Uh, according to the test screening, Nyman's score was called quote too European and obtrusive and cool, oh. which is so funny to me. How <laughs> slow it's too European and obtrusive. Um Apparently this last minute change Ended up uh, with the studio releasing Kind of two soundtracks for the film The first one released it actually had some Of the because they had already started pressing them Or something mm-hmm. it had like I believe I read two of the tracks From Nyman's score On the album And then later they released one that was Just Silvestri's score hmm. And so there's like this and there's apparently also Some bootlegs or something of the Nyman Score somewhere that exists anyways This is an interesting kind of Little subplot in the production of this film. Uh, so director Griffin Dunn uh, apparently struggled with uh, how many takes his leads would need or needed when they were performing. Because so Sandra Bullock was generally a person who was like a two or three take kind of kind of gal, which is just pretty standard. I mm-hmm. would say maybe pretty normal, maybe a few more than that generally. But depending on what it is, two, three, four, five, usually under 10 takes unless it's something particularly like involved or whatever. Um, But Nicole Kidman had just finished working with Stanley Kubrick on Eyes Wide Shut. So she was used to doing like literally dozens and dozens of takes. And so there was kind of this tension between what Nicole Kidman wanted and what Sandra Bullock was used to. And the director kind of had to (laughs) bridge that divide and figure out a happy medium. Uh, According to co-writer Akiva Goldsman, uh, there's a director's cut of this film that was much darker uh, and a much darker take on the material. But due to the way Warner Brothers had marketed the film and the extensive editing and revisions that they did, the final version of the film ended up being uh, not nearly as dark as that original vision that they had.
1: Ugh. At least the done cut.
0: Yes. <laughs> 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 uh, so uh, apparently something in this, there is a reference to a Death Watch beetle in this movie, which is a real thing. There is a real Death Watch beetle. Uh, Zestobium Rufa Vill- uh, and it does indeed make a noise that in folklore is associated with impending death. But in the film, this made a, this was a problem because the beetle, when it can be heard in real life, it can't be seen because it is concealed in a burrow in like timber. Mm-hmm. And the sound, is it rapidly tapping mm. that timber, like doing something yeah. where it's like
1: like where it's making a sound, making on a, the wood. a noise
0: on the wood or whatever. And you wouldn't be able to see it. Uh, and so they used a slightly different sound effect in the film. And so you could also see the beetle while it was making it. It sounds like, again, I don't know. This is an IMDb trip effect. I'm not. I haven't seen the movie, so I don't know the context. But, yeah, apparently it's it's slightly different than what is in the film. But it is at least based on a real thing of like a real folklore thing of this beetle being like a death sound thing. Like an omen. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, a couple of reviews. As I mentioned, the film got pretty bad critical reviews. It's at 20% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, here are two short, brief excerpts from a couple of them. Owen Gleiberman, writing for Entertainment Weekly, gave the film a negative review, saying, quote, it's a witch comedy so slapdash, plotting and muddled, it seems to have had a hex put on it, end quote. And then Roger Ebert, writing for the Chicago Sun-Times, said, quote, the film doesn't seem sure what tone to adopt. Veering uncertainly from horror to laughs to romance, end quote, which to me sounds fine. <laughs> so I'm interested <laughs> to see uh, I mean, look, tonal you can get tonal whiplash in a film if it if it doesn't ride the tonal shifts well, that can be a problem. But mm-hmm. also, if it's done well, I have no issue with a movie yeah. that.
1: If it's done well, I think yeah. that can really slap.
0: It can work really well. Yeah, there's plenty of movies out there. I Shaun of the Dead is the, maybe the, one of the funniest movies ever written in my opinion and also has one of the most heartbreaking scenes in any movie you'll ever see in my opinion. Or, uh, maybe slight hyperbole on that second part, but um the scene where Shaun's mom dies is truly like ho- horrifying and sad and like emotionally gut-wrenching uh, in a movie that is otherwise incredibly funny. So it's, you know, I think you can do it if you mm. can do it well or if you're if you're good at it. But anyways, uh, that's it for uh, our movie facts. Uh, as always, you can do us a favor by heading over to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Goodreads. You people know you've been doing it. Uh, drop us a like comment. We want to hear what you have to say. Send us a review on all the places you listen to the show and uh, support us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash this film is it Katie, where can people watch practical magic?
1: Well, as always, you can check with your local library or a local video rental store if you still have one. Otherwise, you can stream this with a subscription through Hulu, or you can rent it for around four bucks through Apple TV, Amazon, YouTube, Vudu, Redbox, or DirecTV.
0: There you go, and hopefully that subscription with Hulu is just a normal subscription. Sometimes that annoys me. It'll say premium subscription on you, Hulu, and sometimes that just means like you need like like Showtime through yeah. Hulu or whatever. But
1: when I looked it up, it just said Hulu. Okay, so, so
0: hopefully it's just on Hulu if you're in the U.S. Otherwise, yeah, just. Check your local library or rent it. Uh, I'm excited for this one. I I didn't. I don't know. I didn't yeah. know anything about this movie. Like I literally, I, didn't I'm even know it existed. I don't very think. Very
1: excited think. because I feel like this movie is a huge gap in my film viewing. It Definitely
0: seems like it. Yeah.
1: Experience because I've never seen it, and it feels very much like a thing that I should have seen.
0: Yeah. I would say for sure. and It's interesting. It sounds like a lot of people are excited for it. Because despite the critical negative reviews, a lot of our fans have been like...
1: I think it definitely found more of a life (laughs) as like a cult classic.
0: Interesting. Kind of a movie. Uh, I I, I, kind of clicked through the trailer and I was like, man, this looks fun. So Mm -hmm. we'll see. That'll be next week. We're talking about practical magic until that time guys guys my binary pals and everybody else
1: keep reading books
0: keep watching movies and keep, keep being awesome,
1: awesome.